I, I believe God has brought you here this morning for a reason. I mean, first of all, um, you know, there's an excuse for you not to come. But I believe that reason is there for you uh, because what I want to share about is something that is really important in our lives. And this issue I see reflected in John's gospel in the first few uh, chapter and first verses. And what I want to talk to you is about the power of fear that can grip our lives and how Jesus wants to break the power of fear in our lives. Fear is a real problem in our culture. Many of you know that uh, Michelle writes a blog and the biggest uh, kind of hits that she's had on her blog is one particular blog entitled this, Evil Forebodings. People are so frightened of what could be happening in the future that one blog that she wrote about evil forebodings kind of uh, uh, got so many hits simply because people are afraid of the future. People are afraid of what could happen. People are full of anxiety and full of worry. We worry about what could happen. We worry about what might happen. We engage in fictional hyper-vigilant, hypothetical worry and anxiety that wrecks our lives and we worry about things that have not even taken place within our lives and we put ourselves in that situation and we put ourselves in that problem, we put ourselves in that moment and we imagine what it could be like and often our minds go to that place where we imagine the worst case scenario and that is not faith. But fear grabs hold of us and fear can hold us back and fear can be there within our lives. Maybe you're facing an illness. Maybe you're facing a diagnosis. Maybe you're facing a business problem. Maybe you're facing a marriage difficulty. Maybe you're battling with difficulties and problems and and the fear is present. The fear is there. The fear is at work. And I often ask myself, you know, what is the... What lessons can I gain? What steps can I take to battle the fear? And what does the Lord want of me? In this fearful generation, what does the Lord want me to do? And does the Lord want to free me of that fear? I believe the Lord does. I believe that he does not want us to live in that fear. And I, as I look at the life of John the Baptist, I've been really inspired by his life. And of course, as verse 7 says, he came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. I have always been fascinated by John the Baptist. Haven't you? This wild man with long hair, camel skin. He's, he's, he's eating honey and, and locusts and he's, he's going for it. And he's, he's kind of this, this voice that cries in the wilderness. A fearless preacher that went toe-to-toe with Herod uh, Antipas and went toe-to-toe with him. There's no fear. There's no, there's no guile with him. There's no deception with him. He is a most beautiful character as he 
comes and proclaims a message of repentance and starts to shake Israel in preparation for the coming of the Messiah. I love him. He wasn't known because he... He was known for his wildness. He was known for his devotion. He was a Nazarite. His, his, his parents uh, knew the Lord and served. And, and God, God was present and at, at work even in his birth. He was present there as, the, as, the, as Mary's cousin. And all of this great rich history. And he comes and he preaches and he moves. I always remember going when I was 16 years old to a house, to a prayer meeting of a friend of mine, a single man, older than me. He was probably about 13 years years older than me. He became my associate pastor, in fact, uh, many years later. And we used to pray. And in his lounge, he had a painting of John the Baptist's severed head. I know, nice. Um, on a tray being presented, I think Rembrandt or somebody painted, he's got a, a picture of this. And I used to sit there as a teenager looking at this severed head, thinking, why have you got that in your lounge? And you're single, maybe they're connected. Uh, <laughs> And, and I'd go to him, because I didn't have any biblical knowledge then, I'd go, well, who's that? And he'd go, that's John the Baptist's head. Oh, wow. But even the great artist captured the passion and the devotion that he was a man that was fearless. And that's what I love about John the Baptist. I love that he was fearless. He was fearless. He was devoted. And I asked myself the question, what attributes when you face fear can I see from this text in John's gospel as we look at scriptures and work our way through John's gospel? What can I learn from him? Well, first of all, I learned that John walked in humility. And I think if we want to break the power of anxiety, the power of worry, the power of the fear of of conflict, that what we've got to learn to do is realize that really the best way to face any problem that we may face is in a sober view of ourselves and walk in humility and gentleness because humility and gentleness are some of the most beautiful ways for us to approach our journey. Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. This was like a kind of Senate commission that came to investigate who was preaching in the Jordan area, who was preaching in Galilee. And so they sent a parliamentary committee to investigate what was happening. And so they came to look and see. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely. He said, I am not the Messiah. Then they asked him, then are you? Then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. I mean, he knows how to communicate. (laughs) We get into trouble when we think we are people that are pretty special. When you know it's all about me, it's all about my ego, it's all about my position, it's all about how people view me, it's all about my standing. Who are you? 
Are you a great prophet? No. Are you Elijah? No. Are you the Messiah that's going to bring up? And he said, yes, all the old flags of the Maccabean era would come out and they'd be waving the ancient flags of Maccabean kings and the great, great movements and the great fighters and so on. Are you, are you the Messiah that we can rise up behind? And they would all rally in a kind of Arab spring and they would come and follow him. And his answer is no, no, no. Who are you then? Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? Notice this phrase. What do you say about yourself? So much anxiety, so much fear, so much defensiveness, so much pain is then when we become so focused on ourselves. Do you know there are 100 billion selfies taken every year? You're saying to yourself, what is a selfie? For those of you that may not know that. A selfie is when you have a phone with a camera and you put it up and you go, <laughs> click. And you go, oh, that's a nice, that's, that's not a very good angle. Get my best side. My th- Those that are laughing do it. Um, <laughs> I need my thin side, my really thin side. I need the Hubble telescope to take the photograph. (laughs) Click! Ah, that's a hundred billion selfies a year taken. And we've become so selfie driven. You see, you see, we've got to be willing to, that the, the best kind of selfie, and John replied in these words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness, make a straight way for the Lord. You see, John knew that it wasn't about him. He knew it wasn't about his ego. He knew it wasn't about his rights. He knew it wasn't about this. But he knew that it was about being a voice that cries in the wilderness. He knew that it was all about Jesus. I break the power of fear. I break the power of worry. I break the power of anxiety. I break the powers of darkness when I take my attention away from myself and I put the attention on the great and the glorious one, on Jesus Christ. And I declare it doesn't matter. I know who I ultimately am. I am a voice for the King of Kings and the Lord of the Lords. I am not the light, but Jesus is the light and church gets into trouble when we are driven by celebrity by charisma and by personality but we get it right when we are driven by the glorious Jesus Christ that Jesus Christ is the Lord of this church who are you 
Are you one that makes a straight the way for the Lord? That your life is straight for the Lord? Who are you? He says, I'm reminded of Paul's words. He says, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. If we go into that difficult meeting with that boss, if we go into that difficult meeting with that relative, if we have that hard conversation where we're getting very stressed and we've got hypothetical anxiety going on about what could go wrong, but we approach it with humility, we will find that when we approach any problem with humility and gentleness, we have the Spirit of Christ in the middle of that. See, I've stopped worrying about meetings, difficult meetings. You might surprise you that in my role, I have occasionally difficult meetings. Sometimes with angry people. Nobody here this morning. Because you are just, I've been here nearly nine years. And we know each other a bit better. But angry people. And I started, this person calls and said, I want to see you. I'm thinking, what are they going to say? Are they, going to, are they mad at me? What are they going to do? What are they going to do? Are they going to say this? Are they leaving the church? And my head's going, you obviously never have these emotions because you're not a pastor. Uh, but in other areas, what are they going to say? Are you going to tell me off? Did I get this wrong? What is, you see, this is the negative self-talk. You think the worst. But I've broken anything of fear because when I approach every situation with humility, gentleness, and love, then I already know what my response is. My Formula One rev counter isn't going to go in the red because I have chosen to be humble, gentle, and loving. I realize that when I always try and, and react and be impulsive or get angry, You know when we can get angry and our our, our skin starts to change color to green? And in our emotions, we start to get angry and our body changes and we turn into a Christian spiritual hulk. And suddenly we go that way or we become defensive and we become defensive and the shields go up and we go this and we think the worst. We become defensive and we become, you know, that person or we, or we try and control the situation and manipulate it. And it starts to go that way. And we know, but really what we need to do is realize that the great greatest way to live is to say, I am not anybody great, but to walk in humility and gentleness and love, and then the power of the Spirit can flow through us. Let your gentleness be evident. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. This verse I love. I've lived in this verse. I've practiced this verse. I have 10-minute daily retreats two or three times a day when there are moments and news that I get that are so hurtful or so painful or so people's lives are so full of agony. And, and, And I step away for 10 minutes and for 10 minutes I'll just simply be still and know that I am God, that He is God. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am. Be still and know. Be still. Be. But the context of this verse, verse 1 is, 
of, of Psalm 46 is God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in what? In trouble. So when your rev counter goes up, when your anger explodes, when you want to control the situation and your defenses come up, and often they are a symptom of fear, that you're reacting in fear, a symptom of anxiety, a symptom of worry, then step back and know who you are and walk in humility. If you do it in your marriage, your marriage will be better. If you do it in business, it will be better. Because it's the way of Jesus. If you do it around the office, with your kids, gentleness, humility, and love. The second thing I learned from John the Baptist is John surrendered all. He said, he is the one who comes after me. And the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This very statement, historically, is that you would never untie another person's sandal straps. Never. Because that is the lowest of the low. Because in that ancient culture, you'd walk through the streets, people were throwing their refuge out. They were throwing their garbage out. They were... The streets ran like a medieval street. You get the picture, yes? There is the garbage. There is the animal muck. There is the human muck. There is all the muck on the streets, on the paths. And as they walked, their feet would experience all of this. And the only person you'd, you know, maybe a slave or a, or a small animal that would take your, uh, take your sandals off. You'd never take off a person's sandals because this is the lowest task that anybody can do. And, and anything, and yet he, he, he declares this, even the straps of this man, I am not worthy. What does this speak of? It speaks of utter surrender. You see, we have a choice. And the choice is, am I really going to surrender everything to God? And the choice is this. Am I truly going to trust him in this? That problem you're facing, that worry, that fear. Do I utterly trust God? And let me remind you, you and I, we can utterly trust God. Why? Because he became man, dwelt amongst us, suffered the indignity of the cross and gave his life for humanity. Do I utterly trust God? Can you trust God with that problem you're facing? Can you trust God with that difficulty? And when we learn to trust, we learn to break the power of our fears because God is bigger than the problem that we are facing. He's bigger than that problem. He's with you. He'll meet with you. Then break that fear. He says, I'm not willing. I know who I am. I'm a man who has surrendered utterly over to God. 
But the one thing I know about John was that he's a worshipper. Worship breaks the power of worry and fear and anxiety and stress. Because when you are looking at Jesus, you can't look anywhere else. He says, the next day John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Gaze at the Lamb of God. Grab the Lamb of God. Rest in God. Believe in him. Look, everybody. Look at the Lamb of God. He is glorious. He is wonderful. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me. Because he is before me. This is the one. I myself did not know him. But the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. I love that energetic phrase. Look at the Lamb of God. When we are stressed, when we are full of fear, when we are worried about the future, take a moment and look at the Lamb of God and worship the Lamb of God and everything will change. You know, you're worried about that problem. You're worried about that difficulty. If you... Went upstairs and shut the door and you worship the Lord for one hour. You, I know that you will think differently about that problem. Because I know that you may have had an argument with your wife and, and she's, she's stormed out. And, um, and, and you're alone in the house and you are, you are raging. And you are thinking and you are battling. And I tell you, you've got two choices there. Life is not going well for you. You've had a bit of an upset. You've got a major problem. You've slammed the door on your boss and you've come home and you're just like, oh, I just want to tell that boss where he can anyway, amen. And, and, and I'm just so furious with that friend of mine. Oh, my, my relative, I'm so mad. Now you can choose to, it takes you as human beings and me that when we are really, really upset, it takes us, first of all, about 20 minutes to calm down and another hour to settle. That's why you should never send, when you're really mad, send an email within 10 minutes of being really mad. I can feel the tension. Because you just go, press send, and you go, oh, no, 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 no. An hour later, you're thinking, not so bad. Because you've calmed down. But I tell you, if you've had that rowing, horrendous moment, you run upstairs, you shut that door, and you spend an hour worshipping the Lord. When you are a worshipper, you are not a worrier. Look at the lamb, gaze at the lamb, see the lamb coming, worship the lamb, understand the lamb, become a worshipper. Because when you worship, you break the worry. When you worship, God changes you. When you are a worshipper, God moves. When you learn to just in your own way, however you are, however you worship, and we all worship in different ways. I don't particularly sing when I worship because... 
that would add to the pain of the problem. Uh, But wherever you are, to worship and to speak praise and to do that changes everything and breaks the power of fear. But how often do we do that? When we're upset. You're afraid about that doctor's appointment. Go and shut the door and worship for two hours and your mindset will change because heaven will come down on earth and you will see it completely different. Worshippers aren't worriers. And there's only two times to worship biblically. Number one, when you feel like it. You are bright this morning. And number two, when you don't. John knew the presence of God. When you're full of fear, You've got to approach the problem with humility and gentleness and love. When you're full of fear, we need to surrender ourselves and know that we can trust God with that problem because God is for us, not against us. And when you're full of fear, we need to become worshippers and start to worship and worship and worship our way out of those problems so we see the walls of Jericho come falling down. We worship and we worship and we see the angels encamped around us to defeat the Syrian army. We worship and we worship like an apostle in a prison and suddenly the doors fly open and they are set free because the glory of the Lord has come. But John knew that the presence of God. John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. In the years that John had spent in the wilderness, in the years he had eaten his locusts and his honey, in the years that he'd prayed and walked those hills, and I've been to that region where he would have prayed. I've been in that desert. I've climbed high where the Aseans were, where the Dead Sea Scrolls were written. I, I left the coach party that I was. We had an hour and a half, and I, I got on my trainers, and I ran up and up and up and up high above the de- where the Dead Sea Scrolls, where nobody was. And I got out as far as I could in 45 minutes to into the desert and I got right there with nobody around and I thought this is where John learnt to discern the presence of God and sometimes in our wilderness we learn to discern the presence of God But when we have the presence of God, however you engage in the presence of God, however you find the presence of God, however we step into the presence of God, when you step and soak in the presence of God and you are in the presence of God, do you know what happens? You rediscover your true identity, that you are not an orphan, but that you are a child of God. When you soak in the presence of God, you discover something amazing that he 
healing comes in the presence of God. When you're in the presence of God, he comes and peace arrives with you. Because when you're in the presence of God... And you understand the presence of God in your life. And a scripture erupts from the page. And you linger in God's presence. You either fix your eyes on the presence of God. Or you fix your eyes on the problem. But you can't do both. So I know where I want to fix my eyes. I want to fix my eyes on the presence of God. He fixed his eyes. Then John gave, I saw. He, he, he is understood. He can see. I, am I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me. The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. There'll come a generation. It will no longer be prophets and kings. That have priests that have the Spirit on them. There'll be a whole nation. A whole church. A whole generation. That the Spirit of God will rest on. You and I are that generation. You and I are that generation. See... You know when you have mind wander, when you argue with yourself and you're going over this conversation again and again and again. Well, he said this, she said that, I should have said this, I'm going to do that. And you've got so many voices, you feel like, a, a, like there's a lawyer in your head. Yes? So many arguments, so many opinions, so many arguments, so many opinions. Oh, you feel like But when you stop and you focus on the presence of God, you see we focus where our priority is. And those swirling, moving negative thoughts of fear and worry is not where God wants you to be. Where he wants you to be is in his presence. Sometimes it's taking those 10-minute breaks, but uh, those 10-minute retreats where you just seek the presence of God. Sometimes it's stepping aside and becoming a worshiper. Sometimes you learn, I've learned that when anxiety comes up in my heart, rather than embracing it and loving it and letting the fear start to grab me, the anxiety and the pain of that moment drives me to become a worshipper and drives me to focus and fix on Jesus and drives me to think differently. So when the next time you get full of anxiety, run to Jesus. Find your cave. Find your spot. And realize that that fear can be broken. Realize that that fear can, can lift off. Realize that perfect love casts out all fear. And this is why you've come this morning. This is why you've arrived here. Because it's a God-appointed moment. 
where you can confess your fears, you can bring them to Jesus, and you can declare, whatever I face, I face it with Jesus. His presence is there. That giant will fall because Jesus is with me. John the Baptist. John the Baptist. I often think about John the Baptist because he, he was put into prison. We know this, don't we? He embraced the suffering and he got into trouble and was put into prison. And then, of course, he had his head chopped off. And when the reports about Jesus came, he, about all the miracles, he wasn't interested in the miracles. It was like, are they, has the day come? Has the baptism of the Spirit come? Has, has the moment happened? And I imagine John the Baptist, I have no biblical... No biblical way of proving this, but I imagine in my mind that on the day of Pentecost, Jesus stood up and looked as the Spirit was being poured out on the birth of the church. And he went, John, John, come here. Come here. Look at this. It's happening. You saw it in the wilderness. And now the church is being baptized in the power of the Spirit. And the church is here, John. Look at this. It's beginning. And 2,000 years on, It's still here amongst us. Hallelujah. John, you went through it. You went to the prison. You faced no fear. You faced the anger of the Herodias. And you faced the difficulties. But let me tell you something. John was a man of action. And when we face fear, we have to be a people of action. Whether that action is to love our way out of it. Whether that action is to surrender. Whether that action is to worship out of it. Whether that action is to soak in the presence of God. Whether that action is to have a difficult conversation. Look, John, it's come. It's come. Hallelujah. Let's stand together. This is what I really believe this morning as I was praying. And, and this final song, and I have, oh, it was lovely. As we sing this song, Just bring that issue now, that fear issue. As we sing that song, that issue that you're full of anxiety about, that issue that you're battling with, that fear that is holding you and binding you, that fear that has put you into in a stronghold that is holding you, I believe that this morning... And it was confirmed through a 
independently through a prophetic word that somebody said to me, is that this morning there'll be freeing moments of God's healing power and moments where Jesus will speak to you about that situation you are so afraid of and that he will come and work now. So maybe if you're facing a situation where fear is gripping you, nobody's looking around, you might want to Gently cup your hands. A word that you would all pray with hands raised up, Scripture says. It's a sign of surrender. It's a sign of humility. Let me remind you that all the marks of John in this Scripture are the marks of Jesus. Jesus was the humble servant. Jesus was surrendered all. Jesus was a worshipper of the Father. And Jesus could do nothing without the presence of the Holy Spirit. And as you open your hands, maybe put the thing that you're afraid of on those hands in front of Jesus. And hand it over to Jesus now. Lord Jesus, the areas that we are worried about, the evil forebodings... The lies of the enemy, the continuous, fictitious scenarios we create, the very real-time problems we're facing that are creating fear at the moment. Lord, we just declare in the name of Jesus that the power of fear will be broken in Jesus' name. Only you can do this, Lord. And we welcome your presence now. Speak one word and it will happen, Lord. Whisper. Break that fear in our lives. Holy Spirit, come. Whatever we are afraid of, we declare that we trust Jesus. He's been there before us. He's with us. He loves us. He will guide us. And Lord, I pray through this song, Holy Spirit, wave and wave of your presence will just do what you do best. Freedom for the captive. Deliverance for those who mourn. You bind up the broken heart. You bring freedom, Lord. Come, Lord.